Amen. Father, we thank you that it is indeed true that the Spirit of God is here. And Father, we pray that you would send your Spirit to reveal your will in your Word. If we don't get that, Father, then all we have is some man sharing his thoughts. But Father, we need your thoughts. We need your perspectives on our lives. We need your wisdom for our witness in the world. And so, Father, we pray that you would gift us with your Holy Spirit so that a miracle can start to happen in our own hearts that just leads out and spills out into the world in which we live. We ask this in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you, team. Uh, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Central. So glad that you are with us today for the fourth and concluding message in our series, Thou Shalt Party. Thank you, man. And uh, it's really great to welcome you. A few weeks ago, Pastor Steve talked about uh, Sabbath, uh, about uh, Passover rather, not Sabbath. Uh, he talked about Passover and uh, the festival we're going to look at today is called the Festival of Weeks. And this one actually follows directly from Passover. The text for this is Leviticus 23. We've uh, based our series in Leviticus, and this is the, the scripture that kind of initially outlines this festival. This is what we read. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days. Now, those of you who are smart in the scriptures would basically realize why a lot of our messages have been around the Holy Spirit. It ties into this festival of weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. So this festival of weeks, the Hebrews will call it Shavuot, basically happened seven weeks after Passover, and on the 50th day, this agricultural community would bring the first kind of fruits of the early summer harvest into the temple. The priest would take two loaves, would receive them, and would offer a wave offering to the people to show that he'd received them. If some of you are new to Central, you may wonder why our worship team or people in the congregation will lift their hands. This is called a wave offering. It's recognizing the gift that has been received in that context by the priest. Now, there's a lot more to this, but rather than me share that, we have Rabbi Josh Bennett of Temple Israel in West Bloomfield, Michigan, introducing this concept from the Jewish perspective. Have a look at this. How important it is to celebrate with family and friends. And we do that intentionally through these three festival holidays. Sukkot, the harvest holiday in the fall, Passover, the holiday that celebrates the exodus from Egypt, and Shavuot, the spring planting season and spring harvest. Those three chances for a community to come together are an intentional approach for the Jewish people. We work all year long. We harvest, we reap the harvest, we, we plant again. And then God says, Stop, take a minute, have some fun, celebrate with your family, with your friends. To be happy is to find that intersection between joyful moments, celebrations like these holidays, and real meaning where we are thankful for what we have and, and give back to the world. Shavuot, which is also called the Feast of Weeks, is a celebration of the early summer planting or the late spring harvest. Agriculturally, it was a throwback to those days of our people being an agricultural people and celebrating those important transitional moments in the seasons of the year. After that, the Jewish people adds a historical connection onto the holiday of Shavuot in that it is connected to the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. And so we add a historical moment onto that agricultural background in order to give it a more modern meaning. And then later, we bring spirituality into the picture in the sense of how do we connect ourselves to the observance of the commandments that are given in the Torah. Jews are often referred to as the people of the book. And it describes our relationship to the Torah, given 
at Mount Sinai to Moses. And according to the tradition, we are actually to see ourselves as if we were there. Modern Jews are supposed to feel as though we were witnessing Moses as he came down from the mountain. So Shavuot, in many ways, is a chance to celebrate that time. We get together and study the words of Torah. We bring our young students who are beginning their educational journey in Judaism and confirm them into their faith on that holiday because of how important that link is between Judaism, the law, and the way we live our lives. When God gives Moses the Torah at Mount Sinai, the entire world changes. God becomes apparent in the world. Law helps us to act the way God wants us to act. When we follow the commandments, when we live a life of Torah, we are actually living out what God has asked of us. So for Jews, this moment of Shavuot, of giving of the law at Mount Sinai, gives us a reason to live with purpose. Okay, you get the idea here. It started out originally seven weeks after Passover on the 50th day, celebrating the transitional seasons in a year. So originally then, it has this idea of a transitional moment, celebrating transitional moment, celebrating new beginnings. It culminated in the celebration of the giving of the law at Sinai, which some Jews say happened seven weeks after the people of God entered into uh, the wilderness from Egypt. And so again, the idea here, and you heard Rabbi Bennett say this, the idea here is that this changed everything. This was a new beginning, Shavuot. The festival of weeks celebrates new beginnings. We all love new beginning parties, don't we? Hopefully we do. Your face doesn't look like you do. <laughs> Weddings, baby dedications, baby showers, housewarming parties. That's the idea behind Shavuot. It's the celebration of a new beginning. This is a new season of life that is something that is worth celebrating. Shavuot. And for the Jew, there's nothing worth celebrating more than when God give, gave his people the law. Now, when we hear the word law, we think of rule, we think of regulation, we think of legalism. That's not the way the Jew thinks about it. They think about this as the guidance of God, the will of God, the purposes and plans of God. This is a thing to be celebrated. Shavuot. Let's go back to that original story in Deuteronomy at chapter 10 and familiarize ourselves with what happened. This is what we read. At that time, the Lord said to me, that's to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones and come up to me on the mountain. Also make a wooden ark. I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Remember the story? God did this one time. I mean, that must have been so tough because it wasn't like taking a pen and putting it on a piece of paper, right? It was actually chiseling it on a piece of stone and then carrying the thing down the mountain. Moses did that the first time, came down, the people were involved in idol worship, he broke them, and then God said, okay, do it again. So he goes all the way back up the mountain, writes it down again. And after that had been done the second time, God tells Moses, then you are to put them in the ark, the ark of the covenant, not Noah's ark, okay, different ark, ark of the covenant. So I made the ark out of acacia wood and chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones. And I went up on the mountain with the two tablets in my hands. The Lord wrote on these tablets. So good thing for Moses. God, he didn't write them. God wrote them. The Lord wrote on those tablets what he had written before. The ten commandments he had proclaimed to you on the mountain out of the fire on the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. Then I came back down the mountain and put the tablets in the ark I had made as the Lord commanded me. And they are there now. And then verse 11 and 12 goes on. Uh, 12 and 13 rather. And now Israel, 
what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Shavuot, this is what they celebrate, the giving of the law. The gift of the law was an incredible gift. But think about this, Shavuot, it begins with the idea that the people come and bring gifts to God that were waived as an offering. But it continues with the idea that actually God gives an incredible gift to his people, a gift that actually surpasses the gift that the people initially gave to God. Now, usually, when you celebrate a new beginning party, it is the guest that gives the greater gift, right? At Sinai, in Shavuot, it is God who gives the greater gift. Let's put it this way. When a child goes to a birthday party, they usually give a gift that is more significant than the party bag gift that they receive when they leave. Now, of course, our kids don't know that because they didn't buy the gift with their own money. We did. They just think they're going to a party and they're getting something that they didn't pay for in return. But all of us as parents realize what happens here. What happens here is that the, the, the host actually receives better gifts than they actually give. That's the way it typically works. Now, let's put it another way. How many of you have ever been asked to participate in a friend's wedding and you've done this? Don't put your hands up, it'll be embarrassing. As excited as you are by the invitation, you begin to do the math. How much is it going to cost me to get that tux? What about that new dress? Then I have to do the shower gift. Then I need to do the bachelor party and pay for my own air ticket to some part of the world that I would never go with my own money. Or that bachelorette party. Then I have to pay for the hotel room. Then I have to pay for the wedding gift. And then you start thinking, do I really love them that much? <laughs> now, if you do this really, really well, you should realize, of course, that basically you're going to get far more out of this in terms of experience, right, than you actually ever put in in terms of investment. But the principle still stands. Typically, the gift received by the host is a greater gift than the gift given by the host. Unless, that is, you're, uh, you're uh, a member of the wedding party that Pastor Steve found out once the bride actually purchased every person in her wedding party an iPod and a new MacBook laptop to everyone involved. I said, Steve, did you do that wedding? He said, sadly, no. But the principle's true, isn't it? That typically you go to these new beginning parties and you give a gift and the gift that you give is greater than the gift that you receive. Rarely will you ever be outgiven by the host in a new beginning party. The wonder of Shavuot is that exactly that happens. God outgives the people. At Sinai, God outgave the people. God gave them an incredible gift. It's the gift of the Older Testament. Now, the lesson so far is this then. When you celebrate a new beginning party, it's a usually the, gift, the guest who gives the greater gift, but at Sinai, it's God who gives the greater gift. Hang on to this. There's two dimensions. Remember the early summer harvest where the people gave? Later on, it would be the gift of the law where God outgave. So the question in Shavuot is, do you realize the incredible nature of the gift of God's word that he has given to you? Do you celebrate that? That's the question in this feast. God has given us an incredible gift in the Bible. In fact, of everything we have ever given to God, nothing compares more than the gift of his word. The word in flesh, Jesus Christ, and the word in print or on our screen in the Bible itself. Now, earlier this year, uh, we took a survey of our of our congregation just to see where we were at, and we do this every year. And one of the questions we ask is, how frequently are we engaging with God's Word? 
We ask that question because we want to know how we can pitch our sermons, our series, what we need to do, but we also want to know whether we're enjoying celebrating this gift of God's Word. This is how people answer. There's about 1,600 responses to this, 1,600, representing, you know, a good couple of thousand people. During the course of a week, how often do you read the Bible? Okay, so you you can see this up there. 30% of people, that's the top, read it every day. 18% read it four to five times a week. 20% read it two to three times a week. 19% read it once a week. And 13% of people don't read it at all. So this message that I'm talking about today is actually based on us. Okay, this is based on our experience, on how we engage with God's Word, how we celebrate the greatest gift that God has given to us, His Word in flesh and His Word to us in the form of the Scriptures. Now, let me say this as a kind of caveat before I move on. I have gone through seasons in my own life when I have found the Bible a very heavy book to read. I've gone through seasons of my life where what I'm going through and what I seem to be reading in the Bible don't seem to connect. I've gone through seasons like that, more than I can count. And so I understand what it's like to be there. And I understand that when some of you answer these questions, that's the season of life that you are in. I understand that. I get that. But I also understand this. The changes that have happened in my life have happened because I committed not to stay there. Are you following me? It's okay to be there. Probably every person in this room has been there. But transformation happens by committing not to stay there. And so in what I'm sharing right here, there's no condemnation intended in it. I simply want to encourage us all to receive the greatest gift that has been given to humanity, the gift of Jesus, the gift of knowing God's will, the gift of living with purpose, and all of that comes to us by allowing the Holy Spirit to take the will of God and the Word of God and revealing it to us. And some of us are struggling with that. Now, we're struggling with that even though we're bringing God a gift. What percentage are you currently giving to God through Central? This is a question we asked. This is the answer for those people who said, I read the Word of God once a week or never at all. Okay? 38% of people who read the Bible once or never are giving at least 10% of their income as an offering to God that is received here and is waived. Do you know what? I think God looks at that and he says, wow, thank you so much for this gift. But guess what? There's an even greater gift that I have for you that you're not celebrating. In fact, look at this, 80% of people who read the Bible once or never at all are actually bringing the kind of first aspect of Shavuot, that grain offering, into the temple. That says an awful lot about this church. It says an awful lot about this community. This community is an incredibly generous community of people. Ranks as one of the most generous communities in our entire nation. Looking at this, it's not a surprise. But what it does tell us is this, we recognize that God, God has the right to our lives and we're entering into one part of this where we're giving ourselves, we're giving of ourselves. But there's another aspect to this that we're lacking, it's the aspect where we recognize that God has so much more to give us. And by the way, this stat increases the more that people read the Bible. So, for example, if uh, those people who read the Word of God two to three times a week, 55% of those people actually give at least 10%, okay? And 89% of people are contributing to the work of God through our church. If you read the Bible four to five times a week, 58% of people are giving at least 10% of their income, and 92% are actually contributing something. You see this, right? This applies, 
This principle applies wherever we are on the scale. We recognize there's two dimensions here. We come in here and and we give God gifts, but we recognize too that God gives us gifts. And, And the challenge of Shavuot is, are we living in and celebrating and enjoying the incredible gift of his word that he gives to us? And I think the reality of our survey is saying, hey, guess what? Some of us may well be in seasons where we're finding it difficult to do that. And again, I've been in those seasons too. That is totally okay. God is okay with that. But he's not okay with us staying there because receiving from God is a part of what it means to flourish in this life with purpose. That's what the Bible says. That's what God has for us. God receives those gifts that we give, but at the same time, he wants us to flourish in the gift that he has given. Now, there's a number of reasons why we should. I want to give three very practical reasons why engaging with the gift that God has given us, his word, is actually a wise thing to do. Firstly, this. Okay, many of us give uh, gifts that God gives. Uh, Many of us bring gifts to God without enjoying the gift he gives. This is why we need to. The gift of God brings light in our darkness. It brings light in our darkness. That's why we need to celebrate this gift. Sometimes there are seasons in life when life is tough, when life is hard, when life can even be dark. We can be lost in depression, in despair. We can live with no hope. But when we engage with God's word, God's word brings hope and light into our darkness and our distress. One of the best chapters in the Bible about God's word is Psalm 119. It's the longest uh, chapter in the Bible. Verse 105 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word is a light to our path. One of the privileges that I have had is traveling in parts of the world where people have not had access to the scriptures. And as I've gone to certain parts of the world, I have many times taken an extra Bible and left both Bibles in a part of the world, and it would be the first Bible that some people had ever read. The joy, the light that was just over that person who for the first time actually held the Word of God in their own hand. It illuminates their life. It illuminates their darkness. There's a great story in the Bible, it's 2 Kings chapter 22, that uh, tells the story of of a boy by the name of Josiah who ascended to the throne at the age of eight years old. By the time he got to 18, he decided that the temple that had stood in neglect for such a long period of time needed to be uh, renovated. This is about 300 years after David, and the people were in a terrible place by the time that Josiah ascended to the throne. They neglected the word. They were living faithless. There was darkness all over the land. But when he was 18, Josiah sent his, uh, some of his workmen in to modify, to renovate the temple. And as they were renovating the temple, one of the priests found a scroll kind of tucked into the, one of the stones. And so he pulled it out, brought it to Josiah, and Josiah said, would you read it for me. Second Kings chapter 22. Remember, the land's in darkness, spiritually dark. And, and so the priest starts to read and commentators believe that what was being read to Josiah was actually Deuteronomy 10. It was the giving of the law. Imagine what it was like for the first time as an 18-year-old boy, okay, leader of a nation, to hear God's word read for the first time. There was conviction. There was repentance. There was introspection. Christianity is really good at confession, at introspection, at repentance. Josiah did that. He asked for Huldah, the prophetess, to come in to the temple courts and basically to pray a prayer of repentance on behalf of the entire nation. See, God's word had actually illuminated the darkness of his own life and the darkness of his own people. But that's... Not where the story ends. The story actually ends in 2 Kings chapter 23 with the description of a feast being celebrated, the feast of Passover being celebrated for the first time in a long time. And it was celebrated, the Bible says, as it had never been celebrated before. 
See, God's word brings light to our darkness. And when it illuminates our darkness, yes, there is that guilt that can sometimes come. There is that feeling of shame that leads to repentance, that leads to introspection, that actually leads to confession. But a child of God is never supposed to stay there. All of these things should lead us to a moment of celebration because there is a new beginning when God lights up our darkness. But unfortunately, far too many of us are still thinking after we've repented and confessed, after we've done due diligence with God, we're thinking about what we've done rather than who we've become. We're not celebrating grace We're actually celebrating failure and carrying it into our lives. Shavuot says it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've sunk. God's grace is like water. It reaches to the lowest point of your life. The Bible is a gift because it illuminates our darkness. And unless we learn to engage with and celebrate even the loving reproof of God, we will never value the gift that's been given to us. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 puts it like this. For the word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must all give an account. See, Shavuot teaches us that if we do not want anyone to question our heart motives, to develop our character, we need to stay as far away from the Bible as we possibly can. And our survey also tells us if we don't want to become more generous, we need to stay as far away from the Bible as we can. Because the more we read the Bible, the more generous we become. You see this? The more we read the Bible, the more we become like the Christ that we worship. The more we read the Bible, the more we become like the God who gives great gifts to people. And when we read the scriptures, the dark spots in all of our own hearts start to get illuminated. And many of us fear that. We stay too long in confession and repentance, and we never learn to celebrate the gift of God's grace. Some people say to me when they start reading the Bible, Craig, what do you do with all the contradictions in the Bible? And to which my response is, I think the hardest part about reading the Bible is not that it contradicts itself, but that it contradicts me whenever I read it. And I've learned to appreciate grace and being able to celebrate the changes that God is making in my own life. If we're going to accept and really revel in the great gift of the Scriptures, we have to learn to embrace reproof from God and celebrate it. If you're taking notes, write down the Scriptures, not on the screen. Proverbs 25, verse 12. Proverbs 25, verse 12. I've kind of stored this one in in the deep recesses of my mind. It says this, The wise recognize rebuke as a gift of gold. The wise recognize rebuke as a gift of gold. The word of God is a gift because it illuminates our darkness. And the Jewish feasts tell us that the worst thing we can do is to stay in that, in that sense of introspection, of repentance and confession. The feasts tell us there's a time to step out of it and to celebrate the new beginning where we turn our back on guilt and shame and we live like the children of God that we become through Jesus. What a gift of grace. The Bible is a gift that brings light to our darkness, but the Bible is also a gift that brings sweetness to our soul. How many of you have ever sat down to a movie and rather than take a bar of chocolate, you've sat down with a bag of Hershey's Kisses? The thinking is pretty clear. We think that because each of those chocolate you know, things are nice, nicely wrapped individually in silver that we won't eat them all. Unfortunately, my fingers never cramp up to yours. And before long, I've eaten way more than I would actually intend it to do. They're just so sweet. Again, Psalm 119 says this about the Scriptures. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 
Many of us struggle to get into the scriptures because we see it as a task rather than a treat. We see it as a rule rather than as a reward. But the truth is God promises to meet us there every time we engage in it. I could choose so many scriptures for this. Proverbs again. For the Lord gives wisdom. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk, whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. The word of God brings sweetness to our soul and sweetness to our life because it gives us wisdom and understanding that we need for everyday life. And fortunately, however, many of us approach the scriptures not as if it is a treat, but as if it is a task. In fact, we approach the scriptures in a way that I would approach dancing at a wedding. One of the pains about being a pastor officiating at weddings in different parts of the world is that when the bride and groom dance, so does the officiating pastor. I hate that tradition. There was one particular party shared it before that my, I had to do this and my wife says, come on. I'm like, no, no, you know, it's a task. She drags me up there and I'm kind of moving. And I, after a while, you know, I get over the little shock of doing this. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing okay until the lead pastor of the church comes over and said, it's really good to see someone who's more uncomfortable on the dance floor than I am. Some of us approach the scriptures like this. We see it as a task. We see it as something that we have to do. We don't see it as a reward. We kind of see it as a rebuke. But there are others of us when it comes to dancing and that kind of thing. Even while the bride and groom are warming up, you're stretching. You're, you're, you're really going for it. And you're the last, first person on the dance floor. You're the last person off it. Why? Because to you, it is sweet. I don't get those people. But there are people like that. Now, the reality is when it comes to the Bible, it's a similar thing. You can look at it as if it's something that you have to do, and you struggle to do it. You can also, there are people in here who, who look at it as something that they get the privilege of doing, and they love to do it. And we probably got people at both spectrums and everywhere in between. But what the Word of God actually tells us is the Bible, in fact, is kind of like Pringles. You know that Pringles commercial, once you pop, you just can't stop? See, once I realized that when it came to that dance thing, which I still don't like doing, but in those moments where I have to, right? Culturally inappropriate if I don't. Yes, there are parts of the world where things are what would seem culturally inappropriate to us are culturally inappropriate the other way. We just need to see the way the world works, okay? Once I realized in those kind of contexts that people weren't looking at me, I wasn't that important, people had better things to do, than to look at me on the dance floor. In other words, once I realized I wasn't the center of attention, but the bride was, all of a sudden it became a whole lot easier. Guess what? If you pick up the Bible and start to realize that you're not the center of attention, you're not the center of the story God is, it actually becomes a lot easier to read. And the minute you do that, you discover that this story is sweet and that there's so much in store for you. And the lesson with this is, don't take yourself too seriously. Because once you get into this book, and I'm, I've got a caveat here, I'm going to wrap it up in the end. Once you get into this story, you'll start to realize this is an incredible story that will just suck you in. And once you get to the heart of this story, you will not be able to stop. But to get there, get over yourself. It's not always about you. This thing is about God and his ways in the world. So the Bible is a gift because it illuminates our darkness, and it's also a gift because, it, um, because it's, it's sweetness to our soul. And thirdly, it's a gift because it brings clarity in the midst of chaos. Clarity in the midst of chaos. Now, how many of you have gotten older and you go to have that eye checkup. I spoke to a pastor the other week and just got over 40 and he was like, man, I, I'm really struggling here. My hearing is going. My eyes are starting to go. In fact, I've got to go and get my eyes tested. Any of you ever done that, right? You go in and they put, this, put you in front of this eye chart and then they put these things in front of your eyes and they say, what's better, one or two? Two or four? Four or six? And it gets to the point with me, I can't tell the difference. 
But what I do know is when they get it right, I can see that last but one line more clearly than I've ever seen before. The Bible is a gift to us because it helps us see things more clearly than we've ever seen them before. One of the functions of the Bible is to actually help us see ourselves more clearly than we've ever seen ourselves before. But in order for that to happen, there has to be certain changes. Romans chapter 12 puts it like this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Notice a formation is happening either way. It is either a conformation or it is a transformation. The difference here is on the Latin prefix. In other words, we are being formed one way or the other. Conformation, con, the Latin prefix means to go along with. Either our formation is happening simply because we are going along with what the verse here says, the pattern of this world, which could be our family unit, our home unit, our friendship groups. In other words, the type of environment that we immerse ourselves in, the community that we immerse ourselves in, is directly related to the type of formation that we are going along with. This week, somebody asked me, hey, what did you do for the 4th of July? I actually got up at 3.30 in the morning, got on a plane, flew down to Jacksonville to move my daughter from Jacksonville up to Chicago. And as we were talking, there were times where she was speaking, and I'm like, oh, Lord, she sounds more like me every day. <laughs> There's parts of that that are good. But the reality is there is a type of formation that is happening in all of our lives simply because of the people that we are going along with. Conformation. A change needs to happen one way or the other. But the question is, what's the basis of your change? Rather than that conformation, there needs to be a transformation, which is a formation that comes trans-Latin prefix over and above, that rises above, a formation that is happening out of a different mindset, from a different world. It's a formation that happens from above. When that's the type of formation that happens, we will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, his perfect, and his pleasing will. See, formation. The world is changing, and we are changing. The Bible is a gift to us because it brings about a change that comes supernaturally from above. Now, I want to make this abundantly clear. The change that we seek will not come simply because you choose to read this book. Now, before you get up and walk out, let me explain what I mean. There is a grave misunderstanding in the church about what happens when a person reads the Bible. Reading this book does not change you. Let me make the connection this way. The Jewish people celebrated Shavuot because it marked a new beginning. Christians don't celebrate Shavuot, but there is a historic event that we do celebrate that functions very much the same way. The key distinction between Judaism and Christianity is simply this. The Jews believe that when God gave them the law, in, he also placed a desire to do God's will in their hearts that they were capable of doing on their own. Christianity says no. We needed help to do God's will. And so what we can see here is, remember, the, the Shavuot is basically second part of this happens because Moses ascended up to the mountain, and because of Moses ascended, the law of God, the word of God descended. For us, the ability to change, the ability to be transformed doesn't come when we read a book 
It happens when we recognize that Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and ascended up to the heavens so that what? The Spirit of God could come down. Change that we need doesn't happen because we read a book. The change that we need happens because God's Word is attached to God's Spirit that brings the change that we need. Shavuot. Moses went up. The law of God came down for the church. Pentecost. Jesus went up so that the Spirit of God could come down. Now, I want you to see this. So if you have a Bible, turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 2. Acts 2. Begin to wrap up with this. This is the story of Pentecost. We've read the foundational story of the, of the Jews in Deuteronomy 10. Let's read one of the foundational stories, expressions of Shavuot in the New Testament, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Wasn't it amazing last week having all of these pastors on the stage and just seeing each of them pray for the other one in their own tongue? Did any of you, ever, do any of you understand that? No, God did. We didn't have the interpretation there. But imagine on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God came down, and these, these people were driven out of the house, and they start to praise God in the languages of the people who were in Jerusalem celebrating at that point in time. And these people are bewildered. They don't know what is going on. And so the story goes on. And all of these people speaking Galileans. I love this. See, God gives them the gift of being able to speak grammatically the languages of the people that were listening, but they still sounded like a Galilean. You want to know what that's like? You listen to me every week. Uh, my grammar is pretty good when it comes to the English language, but my accent is really different. The Galilean accent is a strong accent. Okay, really comes from the gut and out through the throat. It's strong. In other words, they start praising God, which shouldn't have been a surprise. It was a Jewish festival that they were all celebrating. Okay, what's so surprising about people praising God in a festival where people should be praising God? That, that's not surprising. What was surprising is that these were Galileans speaking all of the languages of the people groups we're going to read about in a moment, and they were doing it with that Galilean accent. They stood out. Look at where they came from. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, in other words, three continents. We hear them de declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? You know what feast these Jews were celebrating? Shavuot. They were celebrating a, a season in life where everything changed. Where God gave his word. And it's as if God puts a little kind of comma on this and actually reminds them, hey, the new beginning that you need is not simply because I gave you my word. No, it's because I give you the ability to do my word. See, at Shavuot, we receive the truth about God, but at Pentecost, we receive the power of God. The Bible truly becomes the gift that it is to us when we recognize Reading the Bible from our own intellect will never bring the transformation that we need. It is receiving the gift of the Spirit of God that takes the will of God in the Word of God that brings us the gift that we need. Too many of us wrestle with the Bible in reading it and receiving it as a gift. 
because we're doing it in our own strength. And the lesson of the church is you can't do God's will in your own strength. You need God's ability. Let me put it this way. A number of years ago, I received a phone call from a, an American organization while I was living in Europe saying, hey, would you like to be the chaplain of a professional ice hockey team? I laughed at them. I can't ice skate, and I've never even seen a game of ice hockey, let alone played it. Yeah, they said, we've listened to you, kind of your messages, and we think you'd be really good. This is what we'd like you to do. We'd like you to basically fly out to London. We've got all of our teams that are playing together. They've owned a number of teams through the world. They're all playing together in London. We'll put you up with this team. They were the German ice hockey champions, moved them from Munich up to Hamburg. And uh, we'll put you up there. You can meet the team and then take a look. And I went over there that week, saw my first ice hockey game, never had a clue what was going on. Still don't know why people are allowed to fight, but they are in ice hockey apparently. And I went home thinking, I don't know what I could do this thing. That was a Saturday. Sunday morning, preached the church. At the end of the service, a lady came up to me, South African lady, and said, uh, somebody told me you were in London this weekend. And I was like, yeah, that's right. She said, it wouldn't be to do with an ice hockey team, would it? And whenever God does that, I'm like, oh, Jesus, no. She says, I'm the coach's wife. I am a believer. I've been praying that a pastor would work with my husband for a long time. Tell me that you're going to do it. <laughs> I did it. The team made the playoffs. But here's the point. We get into the... <laughs> not because of me, but anyway. You can't argue with God, can you? It's just like, can't do it. So I get into the, I get into the room... And they're doing the playoffs. I mean, being in a professional organization when they go into this, it's unbelievable. See, because all of them are supposed to bring it on the ice, bring it on the field when their marriages are struggling because their wives have moved halfway around the world. They don't know anybody. They're isolated. And they're trying to bring it on the ice while they're trying to deal with all the stuff at home. That's where I came in. I mean, these guys knew what they're doing even when I didn't. But we get to the playoffs. We're in the room. And they hand out the playoff handbook. And they gave me a copy of the handbook, and they called it my Bible. Now, here's the point. Do you think that just because I had the handbook, I could execute the place? I couldn't even skate properly. Truly, it would have been a supernatural work of God for me to be able to do any one of those plays on the handbook. And I want to tell you, it's exactly the same with the Bible. This is the handbook for life. But if we think we can execute these plays without the supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit, we are mistaken. The Jews may well be people of the book, but the Christian is a word and spirit person if he or she is anything at all. Word and spirit. Think about this. Jesus, when he was tempted three times by the adversary, responded with three words. It is written. Three times, it is written. Now, why did he say that? It is written. Did he say it because he is God, and as God, he could basically, he had the right to know God's word from beginning to end. He had it memorized. Is that what was happening? No. I've said it before, I'll say it again. The reason the Son of God took on flesh was not to act like God, but was to act like you and me, the sons and daughters of God, should have acted, but because of the controlling power of sin, could not. He came and said, I only do what the Father tells me. When he was tempted, he responded with those words, it is written. How did Jesus know it was written? Because from the time he was a child, he basically had had the word of God put into his mind over and over again. And the spirit of God takes the will of God and the word of God and reveals it to us. That's the way this works. And I recognize a number of us are in different seasons of life. Many of us are not engaging with the gift of God's word in the way that we should, and we find it so difficult to do. I don't want to be mindful of something. I don't want to come over as telling you that if you go out of here today and you start to read God's word, you will become the wisest person that there is. It doesn't work that way. Tim Keller says this, if you pick up the Bible today, it will not help you tomorrow. But if you pick up the Bible today, it will help you in six months. Now, of course, God will help us wherever it is, but the reality of the Scriptures is the more we make this a dynamic habit, the more it actually provides the power that we need for life.
Let me ask you this. Are you in God's word that way? Have you really taken the heart and truly embraced and truly perceived and understood the incredible gift that God has given to us in his word? Because if you haven't, when you seek God's guidance, what will likely happen is that you will use this book in the way that people play Russian roulette. You play Russian roulette with your spirituality. You want to know what that is? You're giving gifts to God. You know that God exists. You're in a hard season, but you need God's wisdom. And so what you'll do is you'll kind of go, okay, God, help me out here. You'll open it. You'll put your finger down to a verse. And it says the bronze from the wave offering. Isn't that awesome? The bronze from the wave offering was 70 talents and 2,400 shekels. God, how does that help me? And have you ever done that? Why? Because we need direction, but we fail to realize that what goes in comes out. What are you putting in? Where are you getting your daily nourishment from? I love this scripture, and I'm closing with this. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. Let me ask you this. Whose doors are you waiting by every day? For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord, but those who fail to find me harm themselves. You know, God wants to meet with you. God is less concerned about the things that you've done wrong yesterday and is more concerned with the opportunities that he wants to give you today and tomorrow and for the rest of your life. But in order to do that, you need the word of God and you need the spirit of God. Whose doors are you waiting by daily? Here's my challenge to you. If you're someone who doesn't engage with God's word, let me encourage you to do this. Join us in that summer challenge. Some of us are going through the Bible in, in 90 days. That may be too tough, but some of us are just going through the New Testament. Just start on week three with us. We're at the beginning of week three. Just commit to start to put the word of God in your heart. And as you do that, say, God, I'm reading your word, and I pray that you will speak to me so that I will only say and do what it is that you show me to say and do. When we do that, that's the reason that we can say, this book is the greatest gift after our salvation in Jesus Christ that we've been given. Let me encourage you, wherever you are in your walk, do not neglect the Spirit of God and His importance in taking the will of God in the Word of God and revealing it to you.